always have to feel like I need to uh, give a disclaimer. because there may be someone here that is visiting today and I want to assure you that this is not the first team this is maybe the third or the fourth team that is playing today so if you hear if you have concern about the the the, uh, the speaker well don't give up on us uh, come back later uh, you may find an improvement if you'll come back later. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. Father, we come at this time thankful for many, many blessings. And we come at this time, Father, to again look at your word and we just pray that we will clear our minds uh, so that there'll be no distraction from what you want said and what you want received for it is in Jesus name amen um Um, bear with me I'll, uh, this morning with my notes. Um, I have to have quite a few notes, Un unlike Jared. Um, Jared, I think, has a little better command of the subject matter, perhaps. And I know that he has a lot better short-term memory, so he doesn't have to have so many um uh, helpful notes, but I do, so bear with me as I shuffle through them here. Um, we're continuing, of course, as you know, in 1 Peter. Um, just a little review about what 1 Peter is about. Of course, it is a letter of encouragement to a church uh, in exile, in a foreign land. It was a letter directed to um, Christians who had been dispersed into certain Roman provinces and what is now uh, the country uh, of Turkey. Um, we don't really know the reason for the disbursement. Uh, some folks think it is the, the great Jerusalem Disbursement that was spoken of in Acts. Um, what we do know is that these people are suffering. Um, and we don't know the reasons for the suffering. Uh, there probably is some persecution uh, uh, as a part of their suffering. The suffering may be just simply because they are in a foreign land and not at home. Um, who were the recipients of this letter? Uh, probably Jews and Gentiles. I personally believe that uh, maybe there was more Gentiles than Jews, and that's simply because of the language that Peter uses. 
uh, in his letter. That's kind of immaterial. The important thing here is that they were people who had accepted the gospel and turned from their old lives and committed their lives and their future to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and they were suffering in a hostile land, um, a foreign land, which was not their home. They needed this letter. We need this letter. If we have accepted the gospel message, turned from our old way of life, committed and trusted our future to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in a foreign land. And we are exiles in a foreign land. If you're here this morning and you are perfectly comfortable with this world system, you need to question whether you are a believer or not. Because the word of God clearly, clearly teaches that this world system in this world is not our home. And so you should feel some level of discomfort in this world. Hey, you're going to say, well, my goodness, I think this guy's getting ready to tell us we should move out in the woods and, and uh, in a commune or something. No. Can't do that because that's not what the Word says. And that's not what this letter says. Um, the letter is a letter of hope, a letter of hope to them, to us. Starts off talking about our salvation, our wonderful salvation, which is preserved and kept by God to be fully displayed to be fully revealed in heaven or when he returns. He talks about the price that was paid. Um, the incorruptible nature of it. I may go back to previous scripture for a moment knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made 
manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And he then tells them and us that they are a special people. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A letter of hope to them, to us. Throughout this letter, though, he does continue to remind them. You notice that he doesn't just say it one time. He continues to talk about the fact that they are exiles. They are sojourners in this situation. It's almost like he doesn't want them to forget it. But, as I said earlier, we see in this letter that he is not, he is not saying that they should drop out, that they should go into a commune and to isolate themselves. No. It is clear from the letter that they have a purpose while in exile. If I can read a little bit of what he has said previously. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Then he says... But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I will read that again. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is the purpose. There is the purpose. Looking at various versions of the Bible, you find the statement, proclaim the excellencies. Several of the versions said this. Display the virtues and perfections of him display. King James Version says, show forth, show forth the virtues. Other version says, demonstrate the excellencies. 
So he's talking about talk, but he's talking about something else too, isn't he? He's talking about showing it. He talks about conduct and thought, all right. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of of the flesh and wage war that wage war against your soul. But as we get into the second half of this second chapter of the letter, he gets into talking about where the rubber meets the road. Because he starts talking about this demonstrate. Show forth. And where do we show it? And where is it most difficult? Relationships. You can talk all day. You can talk all day and talk about the excellencies. But that's not what altogether, altogether, he says, is our purpose. Is to show the excellencies. Difficult. I said today in our discussion group, we're talking tough stuff here. We're talking difficult stuff. You know, interaction and day-to-day relationships seem uh, like nothing else. And maybe I'm talking about myself here primarily, but it uncovers, uncovers our sinful nature like nothing else. Our pride, our selfishness in those relationships. Very difficult, not easy. But as Jared said last week, Um, you know, that's not an option. If you're a born-again believer, this is your calling. This is a command, I believe Jared said, and he's right. This is a command we're talking about in this letter. Um, Last week... um, we discussed a, a, a relational situation with human government. Um, Jared did a great job with that. That's a difficult area in this country uh, uh, because uh, we're free so far in this country to... Um, You've all heard about the First Amendment. You can hardly turn on the news and not hear about the First Amendment. Of course, that's the freedom of speech, right to say what you want to say. And uh, I I fear that we as Christians uh, have abused that. Uh, 
We feel like we can say anything we want to about the government and anything about the officials of the government that we want to say. And, uh, but anyway, that topic has been discuss discussed. This week, we get down to one of the toughest, really one of the toughest. Um, servants and masters. Servants and masters. And I think it might be helpful to read it again. We've, uh, Andy has read it for us, and I don't, I don't think we can read it too much. And so let's read it again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are, were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This letter was written in the context of slavery. Um, there were, by some estimates, at least 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Um, people got into slavery in various and sundry ways, uh, born into it. Um, they could have been captured in battle by the Roman legions, but at any rate, a whole lot of slaves. When the Bible speaks of slavery, um, in, in the modern world, this, this gives us a problem because the Bible does not condemn slavery. The Bible does not have as its primary purpose the change of human institutions, but the change of hearts. And because after centuries, many people accepted the gospel, the wonderful gospel, And it changed their hearts. Because of that, 
the evil of slavery is against the law now in a significant part of the world because of those changed hearts. And don't let anybody kid you. That's where abolition in this country arose. It arose in the churches. And that was because of changed hearts. But um, he's addressing this to household servants who probably, I'm pretty sure, were treated much better than other slaves. But nonetheless, they were slaves. But I don't think we need to get too hung up on that because I think this scripture is applicable to the employee-employer relationship and any relationship where we have a superior over us, a supervisor over us. I think it is just as applicable. Verse 18 says, Servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. It's pretty easy to to get along with your supervisor, the person that's over you, if they're considerate, if they're fair. Um, But submission to the unjust. That goes against our nature, doesn't it? That goes against our nature. And after all, we live in America, don't we? We got rights. You can't talk to me like that. Who do you think you are? I don't have to put up with this. about that old wonderful country song, Take This Job and Shove It. That's what we think in this country, isn't it? Some very tough stuff here. Tough stuff. Look at 19 and 20. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I'd like to call your attention to something in that 19th verse. When mindful of God. When mindful of God. What does that mean? In our discussion group this morning, we discussed, and I think it is true, you can't take that part out of that sentence. 
when mindful of God, you can't, you can't take that part out. I know and I think in my life I have, and I know you too can think of many instances, perhaps in your life. <clears throat> I have endured circumstances uh, because of fear of the human consequences. not particularly mindful of God, not mindful of God at all. I think back in the, in the Army, um, I think about the uh, particular, I still remember his name, a drill sergeant. I can still remember his name. And it went on as I went on into to the Army, uh, uh, commanding officers and that sort of thing. Very abusive very inconsiderate. Now, I, I submitted. I did submit because I didn't want to be uh, court-martialed. <laughs> I didn't want a dishonorable discharge. So I, I submitted. I um, think about in athletics, I've had some pretty abusive coaches um, that I got the feeling they didn't care much for me. And, um, but I knuckled under and I submitted. Um, didn't want to get thrown off the team. <laughs> didn't worry about getting thrown off the team so much. I didn't want to lose my scholarship. <laughs> so I submitted. But it was not I was not mindful of God in my attitude toward them was not respectful in many respects. Also, some of those instances, I broke the rules and were punished for it by various and sundry ways. There is no commendation, according to this scripture, in any of that for what I did. My submission, there is no uh, commendation for that. I think the important thing is here in, in those scriptures we've just read. There is a word that says it is a gracious thing. There was no grace in my submission in those instances that I've given you, and maybe you can... I'll bet there's some of you right now in, in the job and whatnot. I bet you're submitting. I, I'd be willing to bet on it. You, that Right now, tomorrow morning, you will go into an environment where you will submit Will it be a gracious thing? Um, verse 21. Well, let's, let's talk about grace here. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you 
leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Ooh, have we been called to suffering? Ooh, that's, have been, we've been called to suffering. You know, I think so, but certainly the, the one thing, we get back to that verse, we are called to display his excellencies. And as tough as it is, unjust persecution and hardship are the vehicles through which we show his excellencies. Now, in our study this morning, we had a, a, a scripture from Acts about the apostles and how they were beaten and how they rejoiced of having beaten. They understood it was a privilege to show his excellencies. So, I guess we are called to suffering because that's how we show his excellencies. Well, what are his excellencies? Let's talk about his excellencies for a moment. When he was being abused, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What did he do when he was hit in the mouth? When he was spat upon? When he was beaten till his flesh was torn to the bone, what did he do? What could he have done? Folks, this was the creator of the universe. He had rights. He created the people who spat upon him. Who beat him to the bone. He had rights. Like nobody has ever had rights. He had it all. This is grace. This is grace. The same grace that has been extended to every one of us here if we are a believer today. You say, well, I didn't, I didn't spit upon him. I didn't, I, 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 didn't you? Haven't you? 
in action in your mind, haven't you? This is grace. His excellency. His excellency. And what did he do? What did the verse say? How did he handle it? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He turned it over to God. This is faith. He didn't handle it. He was obedient. He relied on God. So we see two excellencies here. Excellencies that we are to display. Oh, wow. Wow. Get back up there to that verse when it says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. How can we do that to an abusive boss, to an abusive supervisor that shows you no respect? No dignity as a person. Reviles you and his very conduct. Everything he does shows that he has nothing for you. How do we display that? Well, I submit to you that we have not a chance unless we are mindful of God and mindful of what has been done to, for us. That is our motivation. And I submit that if we can hold that in our mind when we are in that situation, what has been done for us, I submit if we can hold that in our heart and our mind, we will have a different view of that person. We will have a different view of that abuser. Well, are our sufferings like his? No, they aren't. They aren't like his. And Peter goes on to talk about that. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. This is the sinless sacrifice that paid our penalty. Liberated us from the bondage of sin healed us spiritually so that we could be restored to our shepherd. Why did Peter include that theological statement there? I think that is the motivation 
That is the motivation. We have been given so much. We have been given so much. We have received so much. God descended to pay the price. And that is grace with a capital G. God came down here and endured in the form of his son what was rightly ours to endure. And that is grace. Now, when you go out in the morning and you run into that guy or woman who has no respect to you, that you're bound to put up with, with, can we show a little grace with a little G, just a little G? When you know what grace with a capital G is. Are we able to do that? Are we able to do that when we go out and be mindful of God? Because if we're mindful of God, we will remember what has been done for us. Let's pray. Father, we come thankful. Thankful for this letter to us. Thankful that you didn't leave us here without your word. Father, we give thanks for that. We asked again for forgiveness of the many times that we have not been mindful of you and what you have done for us, what you have provided for us. Forgive us, Father. Help us, Father, to hold that in our hearts and in our minds as we go about our daily activities. For it is in Jesus' name. Amen.